Welcome everyone. I am your host, Dr. Felicia J. Lindsay, founder of AGR Book Club. Welcome to Deliciously Lit, the podcast where adventure, books, and cuisine collide. If this is your first time to our channel, or if you've been here before, say hello. I'm back. Delit. Now, pour yourself a glass of your favorite beverage, settle in, and get ready for some deliciously lit fun. Hello, I am Dr. Felicia J. Lindsay, host of Deliciously Lit. I am here today with Chef Katie J. Keith, tell me more about you and your career path. You have had many milestones. You're awesome. When I started looking through all of the stuff, I was like, oh my gosh, I can't believe all the things that he's accomplished in his career. So tell us a little bit about how did you even get started in the culinary career? Okay, so first of all, thank you for that wonderful introduction. You are way too kind. So I was fortunate enough, I was born and raised in Detroit. And I was fortunate enough, after graduating high school, I walked into the kitchen of a master chef. And I stayed with him for right up, right around 11 years. And he taught me the profession. When I went there, it was just to get a job. And little did I know it would turn into a career. And my father was a violent alcoholic. I have an older brother and an older sister. My father was a violent alcoholic. He left our family at an early age. And I needed like a male mentor in my life. I didn't know it at the time, but I needed a male mentor. And at that time, those formative years, my one of my teachers was instrumental in bringing me along. And then the chef was instrumental in continuing on a path in the process for me. So I walked in that kitchen and I had a thousand percent passion and zero percent skills. Okay. Now he asked me two questions on the interview on Friday, and this is kind of fascinating. So I'll be a little long winded, but I, I showed up to a job interview on the Friday. He asked me two questions. He says, do you want to work? I said, yes, sir. He said, do you want to work hard? I said, yes, sir. He was be here Monday at seven and we'll get started. I'm like, great. So Monday at seven, I showed up. 7.05, I knew I was totally overwhelmed because everybody was humping. They was buzzing around. They was doing their thing. They was getting it in. I mean, the operation was incredible. And it was a restaurant called 20s Cafe. And it was in a suburb of, of Detroit. The suburb was Birmingham. It was in downtown Birmingham. And it was a full on European cafe, meaning that they had a, a display case with pâtés, terrines, galantines. Mm-hmm. So they were doing all their own butchering. They were doing all their own fresh desserts. So I, man, I, I was fascinated by everything that was going on. So after that first day, I made it through. And I went home and I looked in the mirror and I made a promise to myself that I live by this day. No one will ever outwork me. Ever. 
I felt so bad after mm -hmm. I made it through the first day because I didn't have a clue to what I was doing. Mm -hmm. And when I made that commitment to myself, that uh, kind of like altered everything because I had to show up early and stay late. Yes. So that's when I officially became a workaholic. And oh. I live by those same tendencies to this very day where I the commitment is no one will ever outwork people. I don't care what it is. That's, that's my commitment to myself. Once I understand what's going on, okay, I'm with it. Let's go. Now, you're talking about Master Chef Edward Janos. Is, am I saying his yep. name? Okay. Yep. Yep. Now, how long did you train with him? You said 11 years? Yep. Okay. Now, with that time frame, what can you say is your signature dish that you learned how to make out of being under his tutelage for that longer period of time? Well, you, you know, that's an excellent question. We were... Everything that we did in, in, at that time came out of Escoffier. And Escoffier is kind of like the godfather of the, of the kitchen, French chef. And that's where the whole professional kitchen structure is, originates back to. Okay. So we were doing a lot of classical French cooking at that time. And one dish that 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 I make the first the first thing that I really made for my family and it's not it's not classical French by any means but it was a chicken strudel. Mm -hmm. So my mom and my family they love that and every time I go back home I have to make that chicken strudel. And that was the thing that we had on our lunch menu on our daily lunch menu. Uh -huh. So you know prep we'll make six chicken strudels and that's I'm talking about roasting the chickens in the oven pulling the meat making a sauce of velouté. Mm -hmm. And then mixing it together and then kind of like making a, a filling and then putting it in a phyllo dough. Yes. So I used to have to do that. That was my job. That was one of my jobs. So I got really good at making chicken strudel. And we would top it with hollandaise sauce and put a uh, like a, a green salad on the side. And, and kind of like at, at the restaurant, it was it was like an express lunch option. Okay. So, hey, you want to get your lunch within five minutes, you can order this, boom, we'll get it to you. Kind of like that. Now, you know I'm not a master chef. I'm not a sous chef. I'm just a home cook. What was the sauce you said? Velouté? What did you say again? Oh, that's, that's yeah, it was, it was the chicken velouté. So that'd be like, you know, we'll take the chicken stock or the broth from the chicken, uh -huh. and then we would thicken it up with a roux, which is butter, equal parts butter and flour that's used as a thickening agent. Okay. Right? Okay. And then we would add heavy cream to it. Okay. And then cook that down. And then season it up with some butter, some herbs, and then toss the poor chicken meat in that. Okay. And then that would be the filling for the phyllo dough. And then, you know, we brush the layers of phyllo with butter. And then we add a little breadcrumbs, layers four, five, and six. So we did seven layers total, four, five, and six. And then we would fold it up, make a log, and then we could get six portions out of the phyllo dough that we were using. Okay. Now that sounds awesome. I need that, especially since it's cold. It sounds like a good dish. Man, it's, it works well for everything. Winter, spring, summer, fall. Victor's food was on point, baby. <laughs> All right. Now, did you go to culinary school? You know, I, I, I did, but they let me test out. Oh, wow. And 
And that was one of the fantastic things because school was so much different way back then, so much different, right? The program that I entered was eight ounces of classroom work and then 32 ounces of 32 hours, excuse me, 32 hours of work at an approved house. And it was under the Chefs Association. So the American Culinary Federation, they have Chefs Associations all across the United States. So wow. this was the Michigan chapter. Uh -huh. And this was a standard program. And when you're working in an approved house, they, you would have a manual and the manual would give a breakdown of different disciplines. Mm -hmm. And then you would spend your time in that discipline and the chef would give his or her commentary as yes. to your progress. Yeah. You know, so as an example, and this is why they let me test out, as an example, I I went to that school probably like five years into being with Chef Ed. Mm -hmm. And I was doing a lot of butchering. Yeah. Because that's what that's what we did. We broke down sides of animals, legs, different things like that. So in the classroom, we had the butchering discipline happening. Now we had 32 students and you know, that was a large class. Mm -hmm. We only met once a week. That was a large class, but you know, you can't imagine, no, we're gonna have 32 legs of veal that people need to break down. So we only had like three or four. Uh -huh. So I wasn't paying attention. I, was, I wasn't paying attention because I'm like, man, I do this all the time. So let somebody else do it that maybe not have that kind of experience mm -hmm. and so the teacher called me out because i wasn't paying attention he said don't get up here and then I, I went up there and then he says i want you to break this down and then i said okay so do you want it broken down like they do over in europe or do you want it broken down like they do in the united states oh. so, then he, so then he thought i was being you know Funny. like <laughs> I like khaki, you being up to these, and I'm like, no, man, that's just where I work. That's what that's what we do. Yes. And then he was like, so he says, do it like they do in the United States. So it took me about, I don't know, 10 or 15 minutes to break it down. And then he pulled me to the side. He said, listen, man, you don't need to be in this class because you, you, you got way too many skills. And so he sent me to the supervisors and they let me test out. Well, I went to I went to school, but I didn't actually yeah, I stay stay in school. So, how long does it traditionally take for people who are not so gifted? So that way back then, it was a three year program. Okay, what is so it? Was, yeah, it was it was a three year program. But you know, fast forward to where we are now, the whole industry has changed. Wow, and, and a lot of the luster and shine has gone off of schools and a lot of schools have closed and it's really? terrible oh man it is terrible i'm here in denver right now mm -hmm. excuse me and we had a couple of very well-known institutions culinary institutions one johnson and wales and the other one was the institute of arts mm -hmm. both of them closed and this was coming out of the pandemic so they made it uh, up to there, but then coming out of the pandemic, they couldn't survive. Did they switch to a more online format? They tried that, but a lot of, you know, cooking is hands-on. Yes, yes. 
like you need that. And then because of how cooking is, you need to critique kind of like right away. Yes, yes. Right? Because if, if you're doing something wrong and you don't correct it, when you finish, it's still going to be wrong. And it'll be a habit. Yeah. And then you went through all that whole process to do exactly what you said, develop a bad habit. Mm -hmm. So cooking is one of those skill sets where you need kind of like that hands-on proper instruction, somebody watching you, somebody instructing you and guiding you from the beginning just to help you get your foundation set. And then once you get your foundation set, then that's where your own personal creativity can take over. And then you can do the adage of a recipe is just a place to begin. Take it and make it your own. Okay. I have one other question. So are they doing more where the students can come and do like in our field, we do preceptorships or you could say an external training before you start your your intern training, where you work under a master chef for a period of time. Is that what they're, they're, they're trending towards now? No. And it's sad because that would be the best way. But nowadays, all schools are a business. Okay. So the schools that survive, they're charging these students an astronomical amount of money yeah. Just to get their degree. Yeah. And then they're gonna they're gonna get a degree, and that's great. I never discourage anyone from getting a, a, a formal degree, but then you're gonna go into the real world, and now most of them will have a student loan that they'll have to pay back and you know make it into whatever their life structure is and try to carve out a living. Yes. And the kitchen is famous for underpay. Oh, okay. I understand. So because you're not getting a good salary, it'll force you to take a second job. Okay. And because you got culinary skills, most culinarians end up with two jobs and then they tend oh. to suffer from burnout. Yes. That much faster opposed to having a balance between work life, work life. The, the balance that we all struggle for to make our personal situations work now i have another question for you since you've been practicing for over 30 years in your career and your craft how do you keep going with all the changes that's happening in the industry all the different avenues that you can go into how do you keep going man i you know i'm one of the fortunate ones to where I love what I do. And you know, they say, when you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. Yeah. Right. Yes. <laughs> so I'm on that path. And at the position that I am now, I have, hopefully I have enough discipline to where I can give back. Okay. So that's kind of like my own personal thing is like, ah, okay, I, I want to try to do as much as I can to give back. And yeah. hopefully my message can resonate with younger culinarians that want to come into the industry. And so now I just try to go through the process of seeing where I can find those opportunities to, to help get my message. Are there, now this is just a sidebar, are there any types of 
organizations that give scholarships for culinary school for the younger students that's coming in? You know, there are, but the, the world is kind of like, and I'm sure it's like this in, in, in every industry that's out there, pre-pandemic and post-pandemic. Yes. So pre-pandemic, it was like that. Scholarships and, and students and all, everything is good. But post-pandemic, a lot of companies and corporations are kind of like reestablishing how they, you know, distribute those dollars. Yes. And then- And a you, lot you know, of folded. A lot of companies folded. Yes, yes. A, a, a lot of companies did fold. And, you know, so many people, so many individual people have passion for the restaurant industry. So yes. I buy food. I get my meals to go. I'll, I'll do what you need. I just need to know how to do it. So if you can imagine, a lot of restaurants suffered from a dead stop. We, we, we can't do anything. A dead stop. And then full start. Let's go. And not they, they don't have the staff because That's true. when everything was said and done, for all intents and purposes, pandemic might have officially started in March of 20, at the end of March of 20. Yes. <laughs> and it extended well into 21. Yes, yes, yes. So you talking about, you know, over a year could be in excess of 18 months. Mm -hmm. Now, okay, so a, a lot of restaurants tried to pivot on the fly, but they couldn't take care of a full complement of staff. So maybe they just had the owner and, and one person. And, ah, you know, so now coming out of it, they're struggling for people. So the industry completely changed. Dishwasher's making over $20 an hour now. Yes. Now, I'll be honest with you. It's the same thing in the medical field. We have people that's medical assistants making $20 an hour. I mean, yes. it's, it's a need. It's just a true need. Right. And because of that, the whole go to school path, a lot of people are not with that. Hey, I need to help now. Yeah. Come to me now and commit to me and I'll train you. Yes. So you might not get a formal training or education, but you're going to get to what this particular restaurant is, an Italian restaurant. You're going to get that discipline. So this okay. is what we need. So students, culinary students nowadays, they get to almost kind of like pick and choose on what they want to do. And that's a great thing, but they have to be cautious because you could get in a bad environment because it's a lot of stress in the kitchen. It's a lot of, I'm going to say, it's a lot of all the negative things that you associate with a, a bad employment experience. Mm -hmm. It's rampant in, in the kitchen. So verbal abuse, sexual abuse, I mean, stress, you know, stack, you name it, keep stacking it on. A lot of that is prevalent in the kitchen mm -hmm. and real committed chef to the craft and personal commitment to themselves. Like, you know, treat people the way you want to be treated. Yes. In the kitchen is easier said than done. Okay. Because most, most chefs can't handle the stress and then they lash out to their employees because you work for me. You got to do what I say and and it, it, it's 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 bad. Don't have the leadership skills, and oh, 
don't have all the coping mechanisms down and decrease some of that stress. Correct. And because you said that mental well-being, mental health is huge in yeah. our industry right now. And we're trying to, as an industry, we're trying to get the insurance companies to allow for therapy to be covered. I'm baffled. Why wouldn't it cover it? Everybody has difficult situations, stress, and problems that they go through in life. Just listen to you say what's going on in the kitchen. We experience that in every job every job Absolutely. doesn't matter where you're at so it's something that just to be instituted down the line yes it is so needed in our industry i just had a, a conversation with a colleague earlier this morning and he was telling me he took a three-month leave of absence because he was stressed out he was stressed out and it impacted his family yeah. it impacted his wife and his kids mm -hmm. and, and, and so he was just like keith i needed a break and so he's taking a break and he says, I don't know if I'll go back into the kitchen. He was a, a culinary director of a school district. Mm -hmm. That's a and, lot. And, and, and a pretty affluent school district. So money was not the issue because he was he was paid over six figures. But mm -hmm. he, he was just like, I'm not happy. And I'm, I'm thinking about going into a consultant role. Yeah. So he wanted to pick my brain as he's trying to decide if he'll actually go back to his job. Well, I'm glad that you were able to be there. You have such a wide scope of knowledge that you can even direct him. But I know personally, just being in the school arena, yes, I used to teach too. The <laughs> 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 whole political beast. It's not just teaching. It's not just educating. It goes back to the budget. It goes back to the districts, the politics of the districts. So yes. he has a lot of, he has a lot of stress that he's on. Yes. 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 Now to segue into a different area of your career, let me know, or tell me, how did you get into basically consulting with restaurant tours? How did you get into that? How did you jump to that area? It's like, like you said, a lot of chefs, owners, managers don't have leadership skills. Okay. Yeah. So you could think, oh, opening up a restaurant is easy. All I got to do is, you know, come up with the menu and <laughs> get the staff. And then we're going to print money. That sounds just like that is so far away from the truth. <laughs> so uh, uh, over my career, like when I relocated from Michigan to Colorado, I came to Colorado for a corporation called CCA, Club Corporations of America. Okay. And they were a billion dollar plus corporation that had properties all across the United States, white tablecloth properties and country clubs. Mm -hmm. But they had a real set formula of how they did business. So they they they, they basically had a structure, right? Mm -hmm. And when you have that kind of structure, you have a, a system that don't let you take the kitchen off the rails. Because you got monthly meetings, you got weekly meetings, you got, you know, everything has to be reported. So mm -hmm. if you out of line they're gonna they're gonna put you on the straight and narrow right away 
So that was a, 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 a great learning opportunity for me to see how a major corporation, basically how they manage their money. Yes, yes. And now, because I have the skills from being on the job trained with this master chef, I know what success looks like in the kitchen operation. Now I know what financial success looks like from a book perspective. So yes. now we can take the skill side, the finance side, put them together. And it's just like, hey, listen, you need some help. I'm here to help you out. I'm here to help you out. And I, I, I mentioned that the, the club, because we, it was a private dining club. Okay. okay? So our membership was the- fun. Now that sounds fun, something I'd be interested in. Oh, oh man, it was the toast of the town. <laughs> but our membership was the who's who of Denver, okay? And we had a board of directors. And at the time we had 20, 22 people on our board of directors. So, you know, board of directors, they have friends. Hey, Keith, I got a buddy that's got a little restaurant. He's struggling over here. Can you give him a little bit of advice? Dr. Smith, I'll do that. So it kind of started like that. And for all the vastness of the industry, it's really small. Okay. Once you're in it, it's really small. So when, when you start doing things like that, the word gets out and then sooner or later you will have people contacting you. Hey, I, I understand you did this. And this, this, this is one this is one thing where I've been bad about my whole career. Mm -hmm. I will happily and freely give information because if, if, if I'm in a position to where I can help somebody, then mm -hmm. I just want to help them because mm -hmm. it's just good karma. Mm -hmm. And then it's like, you should get paid for that. So I got to do a better job of getting paid for that. But I have those opportunities to where someone thinks what I say is valuable and it's worth it. So I've been consulting and professional chefs oh. for a long time. But, but that's, but the thing about it with both of your experiences being trained, you know, formally in the kitchen and also having the corporate training, it makes you advantageous to everyone. You, you have all the different levels that they need to put into their business. But it's nothing wrong with giving somebody some help. But if they need extensive help, they should pay. And you are a thousand percent right. It's so funny. Like, you know, a lot of life is personality driven. Yeah, that's true. So, you know, like I would go into a kitchen to mm -hmm. help someone mm -hmm. and then maybe my personality just takes over and if i'm there for any amount of time people will come to me and it's just like no 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 you gotta go over there because i might not be here too too long <laughs> yeah, you gotta go over there so it's pretty funny <laughs> how that kind of works out so I, I have to be with what i do now i have to tell you i am a fan when i first saw you was on bar rescue Okay. Oh. <laughs> I used to just binge all those shows. I loved it. I love how he would come in and say, you're doing this wrong. You need to have this, this POS system. You know, I don't know what I'm talking about, but I mean, he would just go in and he basically would just show the business where they were 
where they needed to elevate. Yeah. And, and how and was that, your experience with that? How did what now? How was your experience with the show? Oh man, I loved it. I had such a good time. And it, John Taffer it, it, it is an excellent guy. I mean, just good all the way down to the bone. Mm-hmm. And you know, television is entertainment, but they really do good stuff there. And it's hard for the average viewer to get the behind the scenes perspective, like what I was able to see by being a part of the show, but they are actually doing good work. And if the subject listens to John Taffer and adheres to the changes and the policies that he institutes, he's doing good work in changing lives. Well, that is awesome. Okay, can you hear me now? Yeah, I got you. It's like I went out for some reason. So I was like, uh-oh, let me get back in. <laughs> uh, now, the other thing was, how did you get into cooking demonstrations and becoming a brand ambassador for Honey Smoke Fish Company? So, you know, I told you I was a chef at that Metropolitan Club. Mm-hmm. And one of the board of directors, daughter, took a job at a company called Roth Distributing. And Roth Distributing, they, in this market, in the Denver market, they distribute Sub-Zero Wolf, luxury appliances for the home. Okay. Okay. So now she goes to get this job and, you know, you selling appliances, you know, like a, like the glass door refrigerator Uh is like 17,000. Yes. Ranges, 6,000 and above. Wall ovens, everything, you know, it's expensive and it's like, this is not take it out the box, plug it in, and it's going gonna, it's gonna to work. Right? Mm-hmm. These appliances come with a remodel. We got to put it in the wall. You got to knock that down, you know. So people are spending thousands and thousands of dollars on their kitchen. These are luxury kitchens. Yeah. And, and, I say, I, and I say luxury appliances for the home. So everyone knows that demonstrations sell product. So the company is like, hey, we, we want to bring guests and customers in for a cooking demo. So the board of directors' mother got her daughter the job, and then she asked me, can you help her out? And I'm like, oh, they need somebody to make them a dinner or make them a lunch. I'll do that. <laughs> and then so I got started with them, and then it's like 11 and a half years later because they liked what I was doing and it wasn't you know a four-time job yeah yeah two three times a month and we're gonna do anything from say like an intimate setting where we might have six or eight people mm-hmm. to you know 12 to 20. so make us something to promote the features and benefits of our appliances okay great so uh, so I started doing that and then when, when I really started doing it and because it's just like okay keith might not be available all the time so we might get chef b chef c to fill in uh-huh and then you know we're gonna have this big industry event and now all of us gonna work together well no 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 that's not how it goes so then when i start seeing what everybody else is doing i'm like wait a minute and then they like we only want you we only want you so then they started building their schedule around my availability and uh, you know i would do stuff for them and then 
they didn't sell to the public. Okay. So if you wanted one of their appliances, they would take your zip code and they would say, here's our dealer that's closest to you. Okay. So now the dealers want to use me. Hey. I like it. Can you come over here and do this? Can you come? So, man, I started doing that. And it, it got to be where that was almost kind of like a full-time job doing that. Mm-hmm. So, but that is for my workaholic structure. So I'm doing my regular job, and then I'm doing this. So now, how I got connected with, with Honey Smoke is I had a couple of companies that hired me to be the chef MC of the cooking demo stage. <laughs> and, you know, a lot of gourmet shows will go to a city. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to be there for the weekend. And then and when they come to a city for the weekend, like right now it's the holiday. So it's the Christmas show. The Christmas show is going to come to the city and we're going to be here, you know, Friday, Saturday and Sunday and come down to get everything for the holidays. Mm-hmm. Well, they're going to have a cooking stage and they would try to contact lo- local restaurants. Hey, we'll give you free publicity. Come on, you know, do whatever you want on the cooking stage, blah, blah, blah. They come up with a schedule. Those shows will come into a market and they will have a media partner, local radio, local television. Mm-hmm. And they would always, we're going to get the traffic guy or the weather person to come and be the MC. Mm-hmm. But those people didn't know anything about food. So I talked to the people and said, man, let me let me do that MC thing because I, I do that. It's fun and, and I know food so I, I can talk with the food with the audience. And in the case where a chef might be focused on their cooking, I could bridge the time and explain this is what the chef is doing, blah, 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 have a conversation. So I got pretty good at that. And I was traveling all over the country doing it, right? Mm-hmm. And every place I go, every city I go, I would get the program. And any Colorado companies, I would just go say hi, introduce myself. Hey, how you doing? Mm-hmm. So I'm seeing the owner from the Honey Smoke Fish Company everywhere. We in Florida, Texas, New York, Illinois. California, seeing this guy everywhere. Mm-hmm. So we were in San Diego and he was behind. He was way behind, like so far behind. And I had a couple of volunteers and I told one of the volunteers, I said, you see this guy right here? He's my friend. I want you to stay with him, do whatever he needs done. Don't come back to me until he says it's okay. Go get him a cup of coffee, put some cream and sugar in there, and just stay with him and don't come back. And so the, the volunteer says, okay. He came back about four to five hours later. Mm-hmm. And, and he was like, okay, everything's good, blah, blah, blah. So now we, we closed out the show. We had a great time. So two weeks later, I see the guy in Denver and he says, I need to talk to you for a minute. Talk to me like, what? I don't, I don't, man, what you did for me in San Diego. I need somebody like you in my organization. Mm-hmm. I, I, I want to see if I can bring you on. And, and at that time, I was like, eh, you know, I don't know. I don't want to be no salesperson. And he's like, no, 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 I don't need you to sell. All I need you to do is create recipes for me using my product. Wow. And in his mind, he's like, I got a home chef, a retail consumer, mm-hmm. and I got a wholesale consumer, the professional chef. Mm-hmm. So I want you to make recipes for the home chef. I want you to make recipes for the professional chef. That's all I need. So that's how we got started. And then now, you know, 16 years later, 
I'm still with the company and I do a lot of their marketing and advertising. Mm-hmm. And more recently, I started doing research and development because we're expanding out our portfolio and let's see some other, other things that we could do with our product. So it's been a real good ride. Well, you are a prime example of basically how networking, planning, putting out seeds in the community and how everything just basically opened up for an opportunity for you. That's correct. Awesome. Now, I want to know one more thing. I did look through all these different places. You done traveled a lot of places. I see that you went to the Olympics, but I want to know about that show that you were on in Belize. I'm still trying to get to Belize. (laughs) (laughs) Taste of Belize TV show. How was it even just traveling outside of the country, cooking there, cooking in their, their kitchen, how everything was set up? How was the whole experience? Man, it was fantastic, man. It was, like you said, another one of those like opportunities that I get a phone call, hey, we're going to have this meeting. And then the next thing you know, we're going to Belize to film this show. Wow. Now we get down there and some people will say Belize is a third world country. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So they have a lot, lot, lot of need yeah. with their citizens. They have a lot of need. But then in other parts of the island, it's just like, oh my God, open up the checkbook and let's go, right? <laughs> but those are foreigners who mm-hmm. own these fantastic beach properties and resorts and, and everything else. Yeah. So the filmmaker was the driving force. His name is, is Nigel Miguel. He's a former basketball player, mm-hmm. a little off the book history. He was Michael Jordan's double in Space Jam. What? Yeah, so he went to UCLA, graduated, played in the NBA. He's a fantastic dude, but he was born and raised in Belize. So he elevated himself to the film commissioner there, and he's like, this is a pet project, so this is something that I want to do. So we go down into the country. He rolls out the red carpet. We got everything to our disposal, so it was a fantastic time. Mm -hmm. Now, the show, we, we did the show, but... You know, when you're doing this, you got to make money. So the the, the business part didn't materialize the way they wanted. Mm -hmm. So they put it on the back burner and it didn't go forward. Mm -hmm. But I had such a fantastic time and they made a lot of noise about the show locally in their market. So when I was there, I'm walking around like, oh, this guy's a local chef celebrity, blah, blah, blah. So a lot of the citizens want to come up and shake my hand and talk to me and da, 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 do all this, all this different, this different stuff. And it, it, I had to get used to it because you know how we have like our own personal space. Yes. Like yes. Don't, don't, don't get into my personal space. You right. Let all that go. Right here. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, Felicia, you got to let that go. Cause they just, I want to I want to, but you just got to let that go. Now, one, one more question. I Basically, I saw that you do like to mentor youth. And yes. I saw that you were a part of former First Lady Michelle Obama MOVE initiative. So I wanted to know, how did you get into the Let's Move initiative? What all did you have to do? And I saw that you even went to the White House. Yes, that was another one of those, you know, crazy things that happened. So... 
when when that program when Michelle Obama launched that program, she launched it as kind of like her mission to help kids play and eat healthy. Yeah. Right? Yes. So let's see if we can and you know she's not going to limit the kids, but it was a need in the black and brown community. Yes. So she was basically talking to us, you know, let's see if we can get you out in the playgrounds and exercise, put the, you know, put the games down, mm-hmm. the electronic games, put those down and get back out on the playgrounds and run and jump and play like kids used to do. So you could build up, you could build up a healthy system. You know, yeah. you can't be, sitting around doing this all day and think you're getting your exercise. No, because exercise is good for you. And then let's take it a step further. You can exercise and eat well too. So when she launched the program, they did a nationwide call for chefs to see if you could get involved in your local community. Awesome. And most chefs will have kids in school. Yes. So they was like, you could just go donate to the school where your kid is going. Oh, wow. Right? Uh, so they 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 put that call out. And all of this was kind of like behind the scenes. Mm-hmm. Going to the White House was the formal launch. So now a call out to all chefs nationwide. If you can make it here to be a part of the official launch, we're going to host you. Awesome. So, all the chefs that wanted to come were open to coming. And when everything was said and done, it was like between seven or 800 of us that showed up for that official launch. They had a, a press briefing at one of the ho- hotels close to the White House. Mm-hmm. And at the press briefing, they talked about something that you mentioned earlier, the whole school lunch structure. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and how completely convoluted it is and how, you know, trying to manage the dollars and, and, and make it to where it makes sense. Yes. It was just like insane. And at the time, Arnie Duncan was the education secretary. So he came and he was the headliner to talk about what they were forecasting for school food service going into the future. Okay. And it was, oh man, it was, it was fantastic. I mean, I was sitting there in utter amazement that they were sharing all this information, but man, is that, is that, is that school lunch or the, you know, the, 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 the before school feeding program and the after school feeding program, and then trying to wrap your head around, this could be the only real meal that these kids get in the course of their day. Yes. And you want to give me 75 cents to give them something good and healthy? That's (laughs) that's all I get. I mean, I went there. Yeah, I want to be a part of this. And you get there and it's just like, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, what's going on? So, So they share all that information. And because the White House was so close, okay, so now we're going over to the White House and we're going to do the photo launch and we're going to have some words over there and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. So if you can imagine seven to 800 chefs in their gear walking through the streets of D.C. to go over to the White House, awesome. then, they had, then they had two stages of security that we had to go through. 
So mm -hmm. the line was long to get to get through the security to get into the uh into the White House. And you know, they had it, it was a bunch of celebrity chefs there, and Jose Andreas was there, and he was kind of like in, in the formal picture with Michelle Obama, with, with Michelle Obama, Arnie Duncan, and a couple of the other dignitaries. But it was, man, a, a, a tremendous experience. And the charge was to go back to your local communities and get involved. Yes. And so we came back. We had a contingency that came from Colorado. We didn't all travel together, but we kind of like ended up being in the same area with, when they had us stage for the formal introduction. And we came back. And our chapter in Colorado was already doing a good job of planning, of, of meal planning, meaning that the school districts can organize their lunch schedules mm -hmm. and take it to the local farmer and oh, say, wow. uh-huh, and then we'll commit to purchasing the product once you harvest it. And at the time, Colorado was almost kind of like a model for some of the other school districts to see if they could be that involved together to where the schools can give the recipes or the menus to the farmers. The farmers can go to grow the product mm -hmm. and then they can harvest it and keep everything within the state. So that really boosts the economy of the state, plus the kids for yes. good, healthy food. And yeah, because the chef. And then they had the individual chefs that could go to. So I was in the Douglas County School District. And so I worked with the Douglas County School Districts to go just into some K through six and then K through eight schools and do cooking demonstrations. Just try to get kids to eat something that they might not be familiar with. Yes. And primarily, vegetables you know because you know the fruits they got a little sweet to them and it's not hard to get kids to eat something sweet that's true but to try to get them to eat some green beans or to <laughs> eat some squash or <laughs> eat some bell peppers or something like that you might not be too successful exactly so we had to come up with some fun ways stuff to do to get the kids to eat it, but we did, and it was pretty cool. And of course, I want you to come to my school, but you do know this is a volunteer program, don't you? And I just don't have that much, much time in my schedule. Mm-hmm. Well, I'll be honest with you. You've done way more than I have in my career. You have seen many places. You've met many people. You've just been, you're a wealth of knowledge to all the people who want to go into the culinary industry and want to go out there and do all the things that you have done now oh, well, thank you for that i see that you wrote two books you got to tell me about these books you know we love the books Ta-da! <laughs> there it. you go see okay. it. <laughs> uh, remember earlier i told you because my father left one of my male mentors early in my life was my english teacher his name was duncan mcleod and may he rest in peace he passed away but he was instrumental in helping me to grow into the man that I am today. Cause inner city schools, and he was like 
their destiny is not predetermined. I'm going to show you what I could do with these kids. Sixth, seventh, and eighth grade, he was teaching us Latin. He wow. was teaching us Greek philosophy, mm -hmm. astronomy. I mean, he was doing all these crazy things with us as kids. Mm -hmm. And he got me into the advanced high school, but early on, he was my English teacher. He used to teach us how to read. And he's like, I don't want you to read words. I want you to read with inflection. I want you to take this book, stand up in front of the class. You're going to read this chapter. Mm -hmm. And when you're struggling reading, the kids was laughing. He was like, no, 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 no. We're going to wait for Mr. Jones because this is important. And, and he was just that guy. Yes. I love teachers. Oh, I always felt that I was good at English because of Mr. McLeod. And then on my career, I'm doing my and I'm entering shows and winning awards and medals and different things like that. But if you don't have a home to put them, your medals there, they're just sitting in a drawer somewhere collecting dust. You're right. You're right. And then I said, you know, a buddy of mine who told me, he says, man, we done done all these things in our career, but don't nobody know. They don't even know who we are, blah, blah, blah. So then I said, writing it down in a book. That's right. That could be my legacy. That's so right. So then I, I went down that path and, you know, had a lot of people, friends who helped me. So I had a couple of people that helped me with this. And then I had team to help me with this. And on this one, I wanted it to be an activity thing for kids. Mm -hmm. And when everything was said and done, I couldn't afford to pay what I wanted to pay to get it all done because coming out the box, the, the, the time that I did, my path was self-published. Yes. So I'm not going to try to go to a a, 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 a a formalized process, go try to get an AD, try to get a deal, blah, 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 because mm -hmm. they just shut you down. They give you so much hate, like, no, nah, you can't do this. Nobody knows who you are. And then you would come out of there like, oh, you'd be crying. I just thought I had a good idea that I wanted to do something, but you just beat me up and then. So it's just like, okay, so self-publishing is the charge and you could be in control. Yes. So, okay, cool. So the first book was patterned after this author. His name was Kevin Carroll, and he did this book called The Rules of the Red Rubber Ball. Okay. And his thing was his mother, father left him. I think he was born and raised in Texas, but then in his height, in his middle school years, he moved to Philadelphia and sports is a lot of the things for kids in the inner city. So soccer was his thing mm -hmm. and he ended up hurting his knee and he couldn't continue on with the soccer and he went into the military and he had a distinguished career. And so his, the rules of the red rubber ball was a, a book that he wrote that was an activity lesson for kids. And it was uh, geared towards a uh, uh, middle school kid, age, middle school age kids. And it could fit in his pocket. And when he first started, it was strictly motivation. Mm -hmm. Like, I, I just want to get this message, my message to kids. You can be and do whatever you want to be. Just stay with it, right? And here's his story. When the book first came out, you can only get it 
where he was speaking. Okay. Then he gets into the Nike Corporation, and then the next thing you know, it's everywhere. Couldn't do that, but then the coming out, and then Well Done is a more comprehensive piece that I put together, and it's chronicling time in my career. Okay, from when I relocated to Colorado to maybe being here 10 or 15 years. And a lot of the lessons that I learned, and you know, hopefully you can go from smart to wise. Yes. Smart is learning the lesson. Wise is learning the lesson from someone else's mistake. Mm. Not necessarily having to make the mistake yourself, right? I like that. So that's what this one is for. And then when I wrote it, thought was to give back to culinarians, to give back to culinarians. Then I'm like, man, there's so many valuable lessons in there. And one of the lessons that try to help people understand mm-hmm. is that when we eat, it's personal. Yeah, it, it, It's personal. So when you go into a restaurant, you opening up your personal self to that team. Yes. So a chef has a lot of responsibility to almost kind of like respect that relationship that your customers give you. And that's not something that you learn when it's, this is how you make this sauce. This is how you make this dish. That whole respect factor is just not there. And hopefully they can get through the pages of the book as well as a lot of other lessons that I had the experience of living. Now that is bringing the soul to the recipe. There you go. There There you you go. go. Now to wrap things up, I want to know what's your favorite dish that you used to eat when you were in Detroit and what restaurant and what's your favorite dish and restaurant for where you are now in Denver, Colorado? Give us some places to travel to. My buddy has a restaurant in Dearborn. It's called Mint 29 and he's a chef. His name is Chris Thompson and we kicked our teeth together earlier in our career. So Chef Chris is fantastic and anything that he serves will definitely be yes. I used to eat a lot of lamb Mm -hmm. when I was back in, okay? And that was at the restaurant. But my mom lives in Michigan, so anything my mother make, man, is on my plate because I love my mother's cooking. Now, out here in Denver, my family... You have just listened to another episode of Deliciously Lit Podcast with your host, Dr. Felicia J. Lindsay. Connect with us at bookclubpublishing.com. Don't forget to get the app, join the Facebook group, subscribe, and write us a review. So we move over to a dim sum restaurant now called Star. And I like Asian, I like Asian food. So we'll do that. And then my wife and I will search out a lot of sushi restaurants. Mm, I love sushi. And we're in the process of finding new ones because mm-hmm. the two that we was going to, they didn't survive the pandemic either. Mm-hmm. So I, I take a rain check on my sushi restaurants when I figure those out and get back to you. Yes, it gives you and your wife some fun date nights.
oh man, yes, we don't do that much. We're empty nesters, so we don't we don't do that much. And my wife's work pre-pandemic, she was going into the office. Post-pandemic, she's working from home. Oh, so I gotta, you know, get the crowbar. Hey, get up, you going out? Because she don't want to go outside no more. She 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 thinks like everything outside is just big germs. I'm gonna yeah. go out there and this is gonna happen to me and that's gonna happen to me. So hey, put the mask on, put the goggles on, put a hat on, put some gloves on. Come on, we're going out <laughs> into the world. Well, I want to tell you thank you for sharing your time with us today and coming on Deliciously Lit. I enjoy speaking with you today, and I know everyone else will enjoy this program too. Man, you are so kind. Thanks so very much for having me. Well, I wish you much success. Thank you, ma'am. All right. Well, thank you for, for coming, and I can't wait to hear what's new when we talk. I, pre I, I appreciate it, and I look forward to the next time our paths cross. All right. Bye. You have just listened to another episode of Deliciously Lit Podcast with your host, Dr. Felicia J. Lindsay. Connect with us at bookclubpublishing.com. Don't forget to get the app, join the Facebook group, subscribe, and write us a review. See you at the next episode.